In this episode, I continue my conversation with Jairus Espiritu, a fellow academic on the Filipino experience. I had read Jai's work on what he called the particularist narrative of Filipino folk healers, which is available online. A particularist narrative implies that, in an archipelago of over 7,000 islands and around 200 languages, there is not one general Filipino identity, but many particular ones. I met Jai through a mutual friend and we set aside a time to talk. These are four snippets of our conversation. The first segment is on revolution and mysticism. You mentioned that uh, our relationship with nature is reflected in our superstitions in that nature is filled with spirits. And it reminds me of what Leonardo Mercado also said about how there is a continuum between material and spiritual and that everything is imbued with spirits. Again, what Father Bulatao said about the transpersonal worldview. And all this uh, implies our relationship, that our relationship with nature is a spiritual one and that it is a reflection of our reverence for, for nature. And I think it's related to uh, the fact that our spirituality does not go upwards, that there is a higher self or a world beyond this one in the Christian sense, that there's a heaven, there's a hell. And so what we have here is simply just a waiting room towards that experience. But in the Filipino sense, it's more like, this is it. This is the whole experience. And we just return to that place. Yeah. The Anitos, our ancestors, are part of the world. And so when we die, we just go back into the world from dust to dust, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, it, it's also the same idea when it comes to anting antings. Mm. Um, when I don't know if you've read um, Ileto. Um, I, I've recently been exploring uh, Rinaldo Ileto and how mm. he traced the idea of... Uh, well, how how he showed that the masses of the 1896 revolution actually revolted, not because of idea of their ideals of nation state, but they revolted because of their ideals of ethics and spirituality. Um, because the 1896 revolution, um, Ileto roots the the Katipunan to a revolt in 1841. Uh, this was a revolt by Hermano Pule. And Hermano Pule was this leader of uh, what the Spaniards, uh, the Spaniards during that time considered a cult. So he was preaching um, folk Christian beliefs um, that includes the use of anting antings. And Ileto talked about how even Aguinaldo would have his own anting-antings during the revolution. And Bonifacio, for instance, a year before, because there's this belief that anting-antings can be charged yeah. uh, during uh, during Good Friday. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, and there's this um, historical account a year before 1896, 1895, Good Friday in 1895. Bonifacio and a few men actually went to the mountains of Montalban okay. uh, during Holy Week, uh, and on Good Friday, they went to the to the mountain where Bernardo Carpio was supposedly held mm. captive, 
and then they went to the cave and then uh like painted in the walls uh viva la revolucion uh filipina and Ileto read that as maybe and again this is is uh not so certain but it could be read as bonifacio actually charging for the upcoming uh revolution that is charging his own anting anting so in a way our own identity as a nation was built on very spiritual things um people carrying anting antings in their pockets um Katipuneros wearing vests that are full of Latin prayers uh, mm, made yeah. uh, as anting antings. Um, so, and the very idea of anting anting is the power of the deities are not elsewhere but here with us. Um, and that physicality of divinity is, I think, what characterizes uh, the Filipino anting anting. And maybe that also characterizes. Um, Filipino optimism, maybe. Uh, mm. Yeah. Wow, that is an interesting. That is an interesting. I don't know connection. Just connecting the dots, and even with the the tales that we have, you know, of of folklore connecting to to nature as well. I'm more interested in in also how this how these folk tales have descended and uh, turned into superstitions, which we practice every day. And even with the anting anting, everything can be imbued with some kind of mystical spirit. And with the words, no, not as informative, but performative, which yeah. suddenly becomes suddenly becomes something else. You know, you, you whisper into, since God, uh, parang, the, my understanding of, of the occult spirituality of, people like Melencio Sabino in Karunungan and Jos was that uh, since in the beginning was the word and the word was God. So if you know the word, then you have some kind of magical power. And that right. I think is, is so beautiful. And it's, it returns to that command of, of nature as well and the command of things uh, in nature. And if it doesn't, di ba may iba yun eh? Parang may mutya, tsaka may agimat. So there's a difference between the item having its own power by itself already, such as a meteorite or, oh. or a tooth of a crocodile, power by itself already versus something that you imbue with some kind of mystical spirit through the oration, through sa pagpapakain mo ng, ng mga dasal for this, for this anting anting. Wow. Diba? So I read that in Denis Santos Villegas' uh, book, You Shall Be As Gods, which is an amazing history of the whole anting anting you know, lore wow diba? something to think about also and and the idea that there are two kinds of i know there are two kinds of anting anting it's one that you that you create and one that is from nature wow we're going to put in distinction yeah uh, yung mutya yeah. diba we say yung mutya Sometimes galing siya sa puso ng saging, di ba? On a good Friday also, it falls down at midnight. So you catch wow. it, you eat it. Uh -oh. mutya. Interesting. Yeah. Yung informant ko, I, I think you could consider her oils as anting-anting. Kasi mm -hmm. uh, she prays on them and then 
it supposedly becomes powerful in protecting the owner from diseases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that sense, it's agimat, not mucha. No, interesting. Yeah. No, you, you're working, but you're working with nature, because uh, the the folk healers use nature to uh, to find the cause of these uh, spiritual ailments, the psychosom. So using the biomedical term of psychosomatic ailments, mm-hmm. pero right that is so interesting but it it still connects with the spirits of nature for example if you step on uh, a duende or if you if you uh, accidentally hit a nuno sa punso then you get sick or then and again going back to it 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 just shows us how nature is beautiful but dangerous that is the end of the first segment in the next segment, we talk about the Filipino psyche. I wonder how our spirituality relates to our understanding of the human mind. And this might be since, you know, I'm coming from psychology and it's so interesting to look at when it comes to uh, spirituality because you can think of God, for example, as the highest self. And if the highest self, from a Western perspective of self-actualization, it's the peak experience is being with God and mystical experience is being one with God. And that experience of really being slain by the Holy Spirit really is that highest mystical feeling. And I wonder when it comes to our own spirituality here where it's more transpersonal and it's more of going beyond the self and towards other people, uh, I wonder what it implies. And when when Father Bulata also talked about, for example, split-level Christianity, where there is a difference between that level of Western compulsion towards tradition and that indigenous, natural, down-to-earth spirituality that we inherited from our ancestors. I wonder what you think of that. Yeah. Um... It's interesting when you talk about uh, Father Bulato because I, I I haven't really read anything from from uh, Father Bulato and it's uh, very insightful. Uh, he was my thesis. Those from you. So, yes. Wow! I wow. have to read about it. Yeah, uh, uh, when it gets published, I, I hope so. All right, right. <laughs> Good luck. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, I'm actually reminded of the. Orthodox tradition um, in the larger apostolic tradition in uh, the church, primarily because I think, again, um, this is outside how the Roman Catholic Church would would sanction uh, these uh, discussions. Um, But when it comes, for instance, to orthodoxy, um, there's this peculiar uh, notion in Roman Catholicism up until 19, the 1960s, actually, um, that we cannot translate the Mass and the Word of God because it's something that is other. Uh, so um, up until the 60s, um, there's been a debate, should we translate the Mass? Should we say Mass in Tagalog, in English, in different languages? Um, but in the Orthodox tradition, um, they've been very conscious of how their masses should have always been translated 
um, because <clears throat> in terms of the notion of incarnation, how God became man, I think they are emphasizing the idea that God has become the non-orderly instead of the non-orderly becoming the orderly okay. in that sense. Okay. And I think this has a lot of insight when it comes to how we view the mind, for instance. Um, in in where from where I come from in philosophy, spe specifically in analytic philosophy, um, analytic philosophers often talk about the mind in terms of the brain, and a lot of the literature on um, the analytic philosophy of mind would always talk about how the mind inheres in the brain, how the brain causes things in the mind, etc. But I think these are very these are two distinct ways of looking at the human psyche. Um, for instance, when you talk about the mind alone, you do not talk about the biological and the third person point of view when it comes to how you view the psyche. But when you talk about purely biology alone and how biology determines the mind, I it neglects a lot of what makes experiences human. Uh, so, in that sense, in that sense, uh, where am I going to? <laughs> I, I think there are very different ways of, there, there are two distinct ways of, of looking at the human psyche, which, and this is just me, maybe we should begin to see the human psyche in terms of both and not just of one. Um, both what um, in terms of its for instance biology from the third person point of view and from the first person and the phenomenological uh, right. standpoint as well I believe that although so yeah um, yeah yeah I want to I want to kind of ground that in what I'm reading now and then because you were you were spiraling into somewhere that even you didn't know where it was going. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but but what I love about what you were saying actually connects with what I'm interested in as well. You said that biology does not uh, uh, look at the entirety of the human experience, and I want to look at that maybe in this sense, since I'm also currently teaching cognitive psychology, I always use the metaphor of the clock. Now we can take apart a clock and look at its parts and figure out how this part works on this and how it moves, but you can't find time when you take apart a clock. And wow. even if you, yeah. uh, even if you look at a clock, it only measures other clocks as Alan Watts said. Oh, I think it was Alan Watts. I'm not sure who actually said it. But essentially, what I'm saying is that consciousness is the same. I think, and I, this is coming from uh, what is called now in psychology the post-materialist paradigm, wherein the mind goes beyond the brain. And the reason for this, where this is coming from, actually comes from parapsychology, where there's so much document, well-documented cases of 
paranormal phenomena and you can't really explain it using the biomedical or the you know the re regular mainstream materialist perspective if everything were just that right then you could push it aside and there's so much bias against it which is you know it's very emotional because we don't want to we can't understand it but the post-materialist paradigm says you know we, we can't understand it because we're refusing to see the possibility that the brain the mind might actually just go beyond the brain and it's fundamental to the universe and then it allows for that bridging of the gap between uh ancient spirituality and modern science and now this is where i feel that that science is catching up with spirituality something that we've been no we've been new for the longest time what how does that make you feel that that idea of this new paradigm yeah it's it's actually very interesting um in terms of uh how the sciences well at least society as a whole has is now beginning to recognize the limits of the sciences uh um when i talk about the sciences we talk about uh, the natural sciences because i think the promise of the sciences especially in the 60s especially in psychology mm -hmm. um I, I think um the promise of the natural sciences has has given this how do i say this 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 insatiable pride in man mm -hmm. that using the tools of the sciences man started to think uh, i can now know everything um, and i can claim my destiny in, wow, in that sense um, but with those paradigms that you talked about and actually there, there's this parallel paradigm in, in philosophy we have this at least in the united states um we we have this philosophical counseling i don't know if, if you're uh, familiar with it i'm very um, it's actually a reaction to how psychiatry has has medicalized mental health. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what you think about it. Um, I'll but tell you what I think about it after you finish your piece. Right, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, so philosoph philosophical counseling was born out of this frustration over how our problems have been helplessly medicalized so mm -hmm. they thought maybe it's just about or maybe we could help in terms of how we can clarify the problems with you as our client that, that's the idea of uh, philosophical counseling instead of you know treating something that is right. a disease uh, so in that sense that's a limitation of 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 science being recognized by institutions like the american philosophical association because they, they've been issuing licenses for philosophers actually oh, uh, in the united states yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's a recognition of another institution of a counter narrative to the hyper medicalization of um the human psyche um which i i think i've, I've mentioned this in the paper when they talked about the uh you did, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the biosocial, yeah, the biomedical perspective, um, and it, it. I think one of the, the papers I cited would say we are now veering towards a more psychological um, understanding of the human psyche, and maybe 
at some point in the future, we will also realize the limits of psychology being a science uh, going into the more mystical uh, idea of the human psyche, which I think you are uh, exploring. Um, you mentioned that uh, Western psychiatry tends to treat uh, mental conditions as disease, right? And yeah. as uh, things that need to be fixed. And what I actually see in that, and I was talking to, I was talking to this uh, psychologist uh, who who gave a very interesting insight on it. Sabinia, uh, uh, when it comes to psychiatry, really what mental illness is to the West is being able to function in a capitalist society, in being productive. So when you're dysfunctional and you can't function in a capitalist society, then you are mentally ill, which is which is the perspective there. And but here in the Philippines, when we say when we look at medical conditions, or no, when we look at mental conditions, it's very spiritual, and we don't consider it as mentally uh, mentally ill because we say, oh, how many people do you know have a third eye, so to speak, or parang so-called third eye? How many people do you know nasinapian? have been actually possessed when in the West you would call it uh, a dis dissociation because of trauma or a kind of altered state of consciousness that was caused by some kind of PTSD. And all these conditions, especially, you know, when you're starting to commune with spirits, uh, then it starts to become, even in the Philippines, somewhat revered in that, oh, you're a, you're a, you're a medium between this world and the spirit world. And that is also one of the points of the post-materialist paradigm in that we're trying to recover the dignity in these so-called mental disturbances and really allow people to uh, rediscover what it means to be human. And all these experiences as simply modes of being human and if to use your term particularist modes of being human in a general sense right yeah um actually it your what you just said um got me to think about how we also yung expression natin tabi tabi po um it's also treating not just human beings as other persons but nature itself as other persons um which i think is again an expression of our organic mysticism and at the same time it is also our expression of commitment to taking care instead of using um nature um because you don't use another person you take care of another person um so when we say tabi tabi po we are committing ourselves to taking care of our natural environment. Um, and in a sense, we're suffering climate change because we have neglected this connection, the spiritual connection with with nature as well. I love that. Yeah. It's it's all connected in, in, in some way, even to our psyche. So the spirit of our experiences are is, is still connected. Spirituality and the psyche are still connected. That is the end of the second segment. In the next segment, we talk about ginhawa and breath. When I was writing about 
this idea on how Filipino spirituality is expressed in our culture, I think of three things. Kapwa, kalikasan, and kaluluwa. And these three things express a kind of Filipino spirituality. But all of them, transpersonal. Kapwa, going to spirituality. Um, and uh, kalikasan, with our spirits the projection of our inner life and kaluluwa which is you know as as mercado was talking about in soul and spirit in filipino thought with the spirit being able to walk around and and venture out as the person sleeps and there is that also projection of the of the individual self to uh to this to another realm so there's also that Right. Actually, I I'm reminded of this paper by uh, Rainier Ibana. Mm -hmm. uh, the title is "Grafting Philosophy into the Prefix Ka," and he actually problematizing. Uh, he problematizes the ah, the prefix Ka as what you just told me as a collective um, prefix, and he talks about different uses of Ka. At least in, I think it was in the 1896 revolution. So yung mga katipunan, kalayaan, as collective Oh concepts. my gosh! Kalayaan, uh, freedom as a collective liberation. That's, that's yeah. amazing. I, I was thinking about that also. Uh, kapatid, uh, kasama, uh, and all this. Kapwa, and ah, oh, yeah. wow. And and it's uh, it's just amazing also that we use the term pakiki to refer to something as shared. So we say pakikisama, right. pakiki pagkapwa tao, pakiki lahok. You're not actually the individual participating in the other's experience, but you're the individual within the other person's experience. Nakiki bahagi ka sa ganap na ng ibang tao at ng nagiging uh, kapwa na kayo. So yung connection of pakiki as a, as a prefix and ka as the syllable that represents collective experiences is just so interesting. Right. I never thought of pakiki in that way. Oo nga. <laughs> pakiki. Yeah, it's a thought. Yeah. Actually, interesting din yung, ano, yung kalayaan kasi Ileto would say ang root word niya ay layaw. So it's not just uh, liberation but liberation with the ideals of ginhawa and uh, Oh, you're bringing something up that another thread to pull. <laughs> yeah, so kalayaan is not just collective freedom but you know, freedom to enjoy. Oh, I love uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Freedom to enjoy, and Ginhawa being the, when uh, I, I'm gonna refer again to Mercado when they said na uh, uh, instead of using the term espirito, a borrowed term to refer to spirit, we use hininga or Ginhawa, and hininga right. in the sense that when we say someone passed away, we say kinuha uh, ang kanyang hininga, God took their breath away. And the breath of life being hininga as well. And when we do buntong hininga, we release our 
our tension and we experience ginhawa which is just amazing with these connections that, right. that you're, you're making and that i'm making with you so ginhawa right. when ginhawa is when there's no ginhawa there's no buhay walang ginhawa walang buhay di ba parang ganun yung sinasabi natin oh <laughs> At breath lahat yun, spirit. Yeah, it's all breath. It's all spirit because ginhawa is very related to breathing. May ginhawa. Yeah, no? Maybe this is also a good way of reinterpreting the notion of uh, pneuma or spirit in the New Testament. Because mm. it's, it's a very potent concept, breath. Mm -mm. So, yeah. uh, breath is a, is a powerful... Um, so ano, meron na tayong isusulat? Oo nga. <laughs> na naisip ko lang. Di ba meron yung uh, pag may lamig? Hmm. Uh, maybe that's breath that's misplaced. I don't know. Uh, kasi dapat sa bibig lang yun eh. Uy, alam mo, sobrang interesting ito kasi I, I know someone na marunong maghilot. Okay? Oo. So ngayon, Every time na nanghihilot siya tapos may lamig, they burp. Diba? So, lumalabas siya through the burps. Hindi nga rin yun. Tapos yeah, tawawala yung pain, diba? And the pain is gone. Yeah, lumilipat kasi diba, in, this was part of your paper, uh, the the conservation of sickness. Yeah, 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 yeah. So So, lamig passes through another person and is released elsewhere. And so yeah. when breath is blocked, nagiging lamig siya. And this relates to the idea of chakras also. When when some sh uh, a sh a chakra center is is blocked, there is no longer a flow of energy. And again, relating naman to the to the notion of chi, when chi is blocked, there's no there's no I know there's no uh, freedom of life. There's no ginhawa or whatever. So relating hininga, mm -hmm. ginhawa prana whatever or and chi and and connecting all these ideas this energy whatever it is this life force to our oh, to our experiences galing <laughs> paper nan <laughs> ano ha seryoso ako oh okay <laughs> hininga let's yeah. dwell on that that is the end of the third segment in this final segment, we talk about oneness. And my whole thing uh, uh, with my passion project online is about rediscovering Filipino spirituality. I actually started by looking at occult symbolism uh, in, in tarot, trying to connect it to the Filipino experience wow. and so on. And I started looking into um, uh, uh, psychic phenomena, especially in the Philippines. And I started looking into Father Bulato's work with uh, how he was able to connect uh, certain paranormal instances to a larger worldview of the Filipino, which is um, transpersonal. So yung tinatawag niyan transpersonal worldview. And then now I'm now when I started looking at that, uh, I I slowly realized that even our cultural values are actually transpersonal. Kapwa can only be recognized as something that goes beyond, and our luob can only be identified once it interacts with kapwa. As Jeremiah Reyes said, 
And parang yeah. ang sabi nga niya, you only know a person has a beautiful inner self, a kagandahang loob, when they're doing an action of goodness towards others. And that parang, that blew my mind. And then when I started looking at it, it started becoming more more apparent that our cultural values are transpersonal in the sense that the highest level of kapwa, as Virgilio Enrique said, is pakiki isa, which is literally becoming one with the other person and fusing that yeah. that togetherness. And I wonder now, as I look into this, it, it seems now that Filipino culture is, it's either Filipino culture is spiritual or this or spirituality is actually mundane in the context of the Filipino experience. What do you think of that? Yeah. It's a lot to unpack now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... Yeah, th- that kind of oneness, I think, is. Um, I I, I watched some of your um, like, uh, sorry, and I don't know if I should call it TikTok or Vines. Oh, uh, uh, yung, reels, uh, short Instagram. reels. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Vines and Tanda. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, um, and I I do think that that kind of um mysticism uh you when you, you were comparing uh western individualism and then filipino like mm. collectivism mm. uh in 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 that sense um i actually think that when you talk about um filipino as you know um being close to its collective um identity um uh it reminds me actually of aristotle how he talks about um, there's this famous line from Aristotle, um, man by nature is a political animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of my professors before repeatedly tells us um, it's somewhat a mistranslation because um, political animal, when you translate the original Greek, it's really man of the polis. So the essence there is not that man is essentially um political but man is essentially part of a group mm. of a society mm-hmm. so i think this kind of oneness um with each other um and as you know uh as a manifestation of the superlative degree of spirituality is something that is i think not just filipino but um it is also present in ancient cultures mm-hmm. and i don't know how along the way the west lost this yeah. this oneness with each other and in that sense i would you know um bring what you said to like its logical implications <laughs> um that maybe filipinos are near to who man should be oh. um because um but Actually, sometimes I, I think about it, um, and maybe, just maybe, I, I don't know, um, maybe modernism is to blame. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Uh, so may, maybe modernism is to blame uh, in the sense that, uh, of course, I'm, I'm not uh, reducing the whole uh, modernist movement <laughs> uh, in, into just, you know, uh, Agriculture, uh, but I, I do think that when modernism came to play, um, 
it began to emphasize the individual more uh, than um, our relationship with one another. And uh, I don't know if you'd agree that today, especially during the pandemic, the, the, there was um, a rise, for instance, in um, mental health cases. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the pandemic has brought modernism, modern individualism to its extreme that we have felt so isolated. And as human beings, we are not used to being away from each other, um, even from our families and our closest friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we have, and maybe we can rephrase that into saying, maybe we have reached a point where we are so far from who we really are as human beings um that is our inherent yearning for unity not in the political sense of course <laughs> um <laughs> but unity I, I in the sense of spirituality the word, yeah, eh. i try to avoid the word whenever i because it's so hard to it's so hard to uh to talk about oneness and connectedness without actually using that word. So I have discovered so many different synonyms to, to use. Right. <laughs> like, oh, the person fuses with the other, the, per, the interconnectedness, the connection. and the, But, it, right. you know, that's, that's so interesting anyway with, with what you're saying uh, about um, where, how the lost, how the lost, how the West lost its, its uh, connectedness with others. And it reminds me of something that I also saw in that religion in the West is goes upward to a higher self, while religion in the East goes around and within, which, which I love. Right. And it reminds me also of what William James said. He said, uh, religion is uh, essentially a belief in a higher order and that our greatest good is aligning ourselves to it. And it also reminds me of what is the higher order. It reminds me of Saint Anselm when he said, "God is the you know the greatest good that you can think of, and beyond that." And that's just it. Just makes you think of the highest self a human being can can have. And in in the Philippine context, it seems like the highest self is actually no self, and the highest self is everyone together. And that just that just blows my mind, honestly. And Father Bulato called it tayo. He used the term to refer to self-actualization in the Philippine sense. Made him question, made us question, oh yeah, when you lose the ako in, in the tayo, it becomes a true version of kapwa. Which, what do you think of that? Right. Um, I, I would like first to fixate on your insight on how Eastern religions uh, are, you know, looking uh, inward and then around uh, instead of looking up, because it, it it reminds me of how Christianity has transformed from its roots up to when it was brought to Rome. Because uh, I I don't know. Um, whenever I I read specifically the Gospel um, and maybe the episodes of uh, the episodes of paul um mm. it's no maybe more of the gospel it's almost always non-hierarchical 
when um although of course there's there's the uh, sermon on the mount there's the transfiguration that happened in the mountain etc etc uh, but when jesus called for instance the apostles ganyan, um it's really calling to oneness uh, in that sense mm-hmm. um calling them to be one with uh, jesus for instance uh but when it was brought to rome and then it gained prominence there um it suddenly became so hierarchical mm-hmm. uh, so maybe it's really um a tendency of again this is speculation um uh, maybe it's really a, a cultural difference um um between the east and 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 the west and in that sense um i i think it's just beautiful how we see the superlative as not being individualized in that sense um and it reminds me of how heaven is actually described uh in the bible where there are no friends no family um but you are just one with god and in that sense i think you can interpret and maybe ninato orthodox or <laughs> would be sanctioned by the church um to be clear <laughs> that, yeah, uh but but maybe heaven is that state of oneness with god as the substance of everything else in the world mm. um and in that sense heaven is reaching that point where you're no longer there because you are finally one with everything else in the world um and not just on earth but in the heavens uh etc yeah